0: mistakes we've all made them but we rarely talk about them that all changes today with my co-host jay Akunzo. let's get on with the show Hey everybody. It's mistake day here on the marketing companion. <laughs> We're going to do something we've never done before. I think it would be it it, it has the possibility of being wildly entertaining. Uh Jay Akunzo and I are going to talk about some of the biggest mistakes we've made in business. And uh we have not rehearsed, we have not prepared. I do not know what Jay is going to say, but I can tell you this. I'm going to talk about a few of my mistakes. And they are doozies. (laughs) (laughs) How are you doing, Jay? It's great to see you. I'm great. I'm better
1: now uh, because I was staring at this list and I was like, oh boy, about to record all these things. And then I saw your bright and shining face and I was like, okay, no, let's do this. This is worth it.
0: All right. So let the ugliness begin. (laughs) Uh, So you want to start?
1: Yeah, I can start. I have have one that's pretty, uh, I don't think it's overly unique to me. Okay. But it's very potent when you deal with it, very difficult to see, except mm. for retrospectively and um, retroactively. And I just it's one of those things I wish I could go back to my younger self and grip him by the shoulders and give him a good hard shake. So I'll start with that one. All right. It wasn't like one decision I made. It was the mentality I brought to lots of my jobs. So quick context, my first, I wanted to be a sports journalist. Everything I did in college was orienting around that from internships to extracurriculars to applying and winning a scholarship and all these things culminating in an internship at ESPN. Like that's what I thought was going to be it. And I hitched my wagon to this internship at ESPN and it was 2008 and the economy took a heavy downturn as we all remember. And uh, the manager at the time was ghosting me after telling me he had a job lined up post-grad. So I didn't look for other jobs. That was my mistake. Big mistake that I made. I was like, I'm going to work for ESPN. It's going to be amazing. And he came back and he said, "Unfortunately." We are not only not hiring younger professionals at this moment in time, we're laying people off. And I went home and I was angry all summer long after graduating, having no idea what I was gonna do and no prospects. And I didn't learn my lesson that the job you're in, especially when it's a large attractive brand, does not have to be it. Does not I, I thought I was gonna join ESPN and work there for 35 years mm. and get the gold watch and whatever else came with retirement, right? Like that was a model in my mind. Because I thought from a young age, you get good grades, go to good college, do all the extracurriculars, become president of the clubs, captain of the teams. Then you go work for the most famous brand you could possibly work for. And I replaced the SPN with the first job I actually got, which was Google. And I was in sales. I didn't love it. And I was thrashing. And I was miserable. And then I went to a tiny startup and I started to love it. But then there was a regime change at the top of the organization. And I didn't love it. And I was thrashing. And then I went to HubSpot. Right. Another one of those like highly ranked cultural places, like amazing place to work every year or whatever. And mm-hmm. I was miserable and I was thrashing and every stop along the way. Yeah, there were external factors causing me pain, but mostly it was my own internal story that I was like, this should be the savior job. This should be it forever. Why isn't this perfect for me? And I wish I could go back and change that because if I saw it for what it was, which was a stepping stone or trying stuff to figure out what the heck I wanted to do, then maybe I would have, have like... Squeezed every drop of value out of those jobs while I was there with a steadier head on my shoulders. Like go and learn from people, go and network with people. What was each stop along the way actually good for? And like get all the drops of value out instead of just be like upset when I went home most of the time.
0: So that was a massive- That's a life life lesson. Huge life lesson. That's a life. That's not a mistake. That's a (laughs) life lesson. What I'm going to talk about now is something embarrassing. This was a mistake. It was so bad. I had to hire a personal courier to del- hand deliver a, a a note to say I was sorry. <laughs> so I was so I was in sales, and uh, I well I don't know I I probably won't I don't want to name names I guess I don't want to but I I had a massive 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 sales job I was mm-hmm. responsible for an account. There was 1.5 billion dollars in sales every year. I had signed a five billion dollar contract. Not too many people get to do that in their life. So our relationship with this customer was significant. It was 10 percent of my company's entire revenue, and um, so uh, so the person that we're, we were dealing with on a on a day-to-day basis in the procurement department. What, what's that? I think it's the, the Peter principle, right? You get to your highest level until you can't perform anymore. Mm-hmm. He was the poster child for the Peter principle. The guy, he was a nice guy, but he was way, way, way over his head. Didn't understand technology. Didn't understand a lot. So we were on a call with this guy trying to solve some problems. And he just doesn't understand. He just doesn't understand. We're going round and round and round and round and round. So then we hang up. So the customer service person on the other end just starts going nonlinear, going ballistic about this guy, how he has had it with this guy. How, you know How can he ever work with someone so dumb? But we, what we didn't know is the guy had not hung up. He had not hung up. billion in revenue. (laughs) Now, so I'm going through my memory banks and confirming, what did I say? What did I say? And I was okay. It was really the other guy who was going nuts. So I was in my hotel room and in the same city where the customer was. And he said, I never want to talk to you people again. You're dead you're dead to me it's over so i wrote a handwritten note and hired a personal courier to take it to this guy it it ended up being okay but you know obviously he he we couldn't that he he wouldn't talk to the customer service person ever again <laughs> and he was he was probably our most experienced person but that was that was that was a bad one
1: what's the teachable moment
0: where there were, wasn't we, one.
1: Where do we get better off of that story?
0: <laughs> not every mistake has to have a, t- you know, sometimes you're just a bonehead. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm not sure it all has to be a teachable moment. I, I mean, obviously, so. I should have listened to the click and <laughs> made sure <laughs> that they hung up. It might be a little bit easier on Zoom, you know, because the <laughs> whole thing just goes away. Yeah. Yeah. But this is pre pre-Zoom. So what's 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 your mistake number two?
1: Mistake. Okay. So th- th- I'll I'll try to tie it to a grander lesson. It is more narrow and embarrassing. So I worked for a software company as head of, con- I worked for multiple software companies as head of content. And then and oh. this happened in the first gig. I was working for this team. I had a team of nine underneath me and I was pretty new to the job. And just to set the table a little bit here, I remember as I interviewed all these people that I would potentially be managing, lots of wonderful things about the company, wonderful things about the team were all being said. And it was like, out of a sitcom where week one, having my official one-on-ones now, not interviews, having been hired with all the same people, it was like you could see, you know, the shot in the TV show, scene number one with Shannon, she was like effusive. And then you cut to Shannon a week later when I was actually in the manager job and she was like crestfallen and heartbroken about like this company and this team and this burnout. It was like, what did I get myself into? Right. And so, like, in my head, I thought, all right, well, this team is I need to be a pardon my Italian, but shit umbrella for everything shit coming umbrella? down at them. A shit umbrella. The, that's what a middleman. Is that Italian? Does. A shit. No, no, it's not. OK, but I'm not French. So I just I'm Italian. Yeah,
0: but you are uh, Italian. So I, yeah. I thought maybe it was inside joke. That well, I just, it, no, I'm I would have Italian. said like
1: I would have said like che cazzo Right. Like what? Yeah. Um, well, OK. Yeah. So. The the executive team was pressing pretty hard on this content team. They wished they were a bunch of buttons you could press and out popped content. And lo and behold, somebody invented that. So I was like, I got to protect my team, which means I need to curry favor with these executives. I can't just push back. I need them to think highly of me and trust my word. So I got to earn that. And one way I thought I could earn that was by speaking their language, very data-oriented executive team. And so I, I asked if I could have a piece of the agenda for the marketing team of about 150 people the next go around. And I'll never forget, um, I was trying to just give them an overview of how like our blog was doing. And there was this chart. I do not know if it's still in Google Analytics. That's how little I use it. But there was this chart that showed traffic by number of visits to the site. And so it was like, you know, a bar chart going horizontal. So at the bottom, you had one, right? And then it was like, how what percent of your traffic has one visit? What percent has two? Then at the top, it was like six to 15 or something like that. And it was massive. It was like this huge like bar. That go- and I was like, okay, so we... I don't know why I thought this, Mark. I literally can't explain this looking backwards. I'm like, so our strategy should be we need to get people to visit six or more times. When all this chart was showing was there were more people who visited... Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, up to fifteen times. Why? Because it was a roll up of a number of visits in one chart versus the numbers below. It was one visit, two visit, three. So of course the bar was going to be bigger. Also, that bigness showed nothing of value to the business at all. Like what? I don't know what I was thinking, but I was like, I have to be data driven because that's the phrase they keep saying at the top of this organization. And so to win the executive's behavior, I'll talk about, look at this chart. See the big number? We need more people to be in the big number. And I sat down feeling very proud of myself. And then a friend of mine who would actually encourage me to join this organization later, he goes, "Um, dude, you know what that chart shows, right? And he calmly explained it to me, at which point I sunk into a little tiny raisin inside of my shirt in embarrassment. So what's the lesson? What's the lesson? Steer into your superpowers. Don't try to be something you're not. (laughs) Is there anything you want to say to make me feel better, Mark, now that I've just been so vulnerable on your nothing? You're just going to move on? on. I get it. I understand this relationship. I can't.
0: I can't unsee the raisin in a shirt scene. So it's like, yeah, I like to play with words. Well, because I'm not going to comfort you because I have a similar story. I have a similar story and it was awful. It was awful. So, um, so I actually, I think I am going to, I I, I will name names on this one uh, Mm -hmm. because I had a partner in crime on this one. And it was our, it was our beloved friend, Brooke Salas. So Brooke used to be the co-host of the show and we've done a lot of business together over the years. And um, so I was working on a project with Merck. I was on this advisory board for Merck pharmaceutical and they were launching a big product and I was on this advisory board and there were people uh, from the advertising company on this board. And so (laughs) they were, doing different experiments with social media. And I was looking at this data and it just seemed it was not working. Something was wrong. It's like there's t- there's like fake followers, but somehow the, the, the numbers at the ad agency, it just wasn't adding up. It just wasn't adding up. There was something going wrong. So Brooke was helping me on this project and, and she said, well, I'll do an analysis of, of these numbers. Sure enough, she comes back with this analysis. And she said, they must be faking the numbers. These numbers, they just don't work. They've got, a, they, 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 they got fake followers to make their numbers look better. She had done this complete analysis. So I go into this meeting, everybody's sitting around the table. And I say, we think you faked the numbers. You know, we've got this data that shows we, it's just not sorting out right. And the ad agency was really embarrassed and they didn't know what to say. And they said, We'll go back and we'll, you know, we'll do this investigation and figure out how we could possibly come up. You know, we, there's no way we had fake followers, blah, 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 blah. So, okay. Well, I was feeling pretty proud of myself. Get out of the meeting, got a call waiting, me, for, waiting for me for, for Brooke there. She said, Uh, I did the numbers wrong. <laughs> she did the analysis wrong. And, you know, look, you know, Brooke is 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 brilliant and wonderful. And we've had lots of great business successes together. But, you know, she made this mistake. And so I had to eat crow big, 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 big time because I basically accused this advertising agency of uh, you know, bot of you know, sort of forging their their numbers. Uh, but we had the evidence. I mean, we had the data. And, you know, it, it's funny because I was talking to my wife about this. I was telling her we were going to do this, this fun show. I said, remember when we had that thing at Merck? And she said, she, this is what she said, Jay. Well, what was the lesson you learned from that? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I probably would have done uh, the same thing exactly over because, you know, Brooke was a professional who I trusted, you know, and uh, and I'm not going to look over her shoulder. Uh, you know, the data she analysis she did, it looked good to me. And, you know, sometimes people make mistakes. So uh, I, I it was an unfortunate incident. It was embarrassing, but it, it nothing. You know, I really I still would trust people today. And if you make mistakes, you make mistakes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's well said. I'm glad that, that didn't that and other things that happen throughout your career can cause you to become a cynic very easily. So I'm glad, I'm glad to see that's not the case with you.
0: Well, there there are things that have happened that cause I'm just not going to talk about them today.
1: <laughs> that's the next episode together. Cause We're I'm too cynical.
0: And- the next episode is yeah. why are Mark and Jay so cynical? <laughs> volume,
1: a- volume one. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. We need a two drink minimum episode, uh, but that'll just become okay. what we do every time. Um. All right. So I was thinking about this one. There's like this underpinning foundational one that's kind of similar to my first one that I gave you, but there is something that's representative of it that's really a, a a stark reminder to me, and I think a lot of people of how to conduct their business well. So, the foundational or bigger idea underpinning this is, for years I was doing two things for a living as an independent contractor: public speaking. I was on the road. That was a big source of my income, like anywhere from forty to sixty percent. And the remainder was making shows for brands. So I work with companies like Drift and Salesforce and Wistia and a lot of B2B companies, mainly in SaaS to develop a podcast, sometimes host it, to develop and write and host a documentary series in the case of Help Scout. Like I've been making these really large, lots of surface area, very visible projects, these shows for brands. But I never applied the level of rigor to that line of business that I did to my speaking, where I understood both the craft and the underlying business you know, machinations and process and how to, how customers happen and all that. I didn't really, I it was too opportunist, opportunistic and reactive, um, almost vanity with the making of shows. And there was one instance that was like, oh, this is a mistake. I mean, pandemic aside, that threw a lot of our businesses into sharp relief, especially as speakers and freelancers. But while things were going well, I remember I had this consultancy that wanted to work with me and we did if memory serves i did the show development which was all the documented strategy and a lot of interviews with them and a lot of punching up different types of copy we develop a premise we develop a format for the show i'm coaching the talent that would be on the microphone i was going to co-host it so that comes with a premium and when we were about to go to market with this show uh they said well we're going to pause the launch because we have like a bunch of big fortune 500 brand clients and they're sort of delayed on their payments and so we can't pay you to do all this stuff But Jay, like, could you do some just like advice type stuff with us? Or could you do some more rounds of edits in the meantime, since we're not producing net new content? Um, And I really had nothing to sort of point to in the contract for when that question came up or that request came up. And I was new to freelancing and they were an important client to mine and very well connected. And I wanted to impress them. So I did all kinds of free work. And yet, yet again, delaying paying me, delaying taking the show to market. So now I don't have the... Final 50% installation from our original contract coming my way because they're like, we're waiting for our invoices, which, by the way, I do not care about. Um, There's a great TED Talk, F you pay me. Awesome for creative freelancers. Um, And then the second thing was I was also not have like they didn't publish the asset. So I couldn't at least get like a portfolio builder out of it. So I wasn't getting paid. I didn't have a public asset. And if you fast forward to today, the thing I'm most proud of is I have literally in all my contracts. Uh, save for speaking engagements because it's a little more clear what I'm delivering, but I have what's called a scope creep fee. And the scope creep fee says very plainly, if there's anything not in this written document that you will request of me, first I will let you know it's out of scope. Then it will come with an X dollar an hour fee, and you will approve that verbally and in writing to Jay before it's applied to the next invoice. So it's basically a way to protect myself and also protect the project, quite frankly, in their best interests. so I'm really proud of it. It's a sneaky little thing, but I love recommending this to all freelancers. Is the scope creep free? Because I basically had a client run roughshod all over my schedule, take advantage of me, you know. And a lot of it was from my own naivete. You
0: know, it's uh, funny you mention that because I had a mistake that I decided not to talk about on the show. Um, because you know, as I think about my portfolio of, of mistakes, they are indeed vast. And uh, but the same thing happened to me early in my career. I had just, I had a customer that just went, just took such advantage of me and it just wouldn't stop. And I ended up, I I think, I think it's the only customer I ever like fired, like said, I just cannot deal with this craziness anymore. And, um, but yeah, so that's, that's a, that's, that's a good one. Yeah. So And by the
1: way, Mark, I got to the point where I had a little bit of an audience at the time, certainly less, uh, sizable than I have now. But I got to the point where I tried everything, even talked to a lawyer friend of mine, Mm. and the last recourse was going to be, do I have to start dragging their reputation through the mud publicly to get what I'm owed here because nothing is working? How do I get paid? It was a pretty penny I was owed as a freelancer. Um, And finally, they came back around and paid me. But I'm yeah. glad I didn't have to face that decision. I don't think it would have been necessarily the right call for anyone involved to talk publicly about it. But I was like, I don't know what else to do except for like putting their name out in front of thousands of people. Like, what else? What other leverage did I have at the time? It was, I was, I was really stressed out about it.
0: Yeah. Well, um, uh, I I've got one more, and then I then I I, I thought I would tie the show up with <clears throat> the biggest. Mistake I ever saw in business, but it, <laughs> luckily, luckily, it wasn't me. But it is a great, a great story.
1: I told you but, that in confidence. Hold on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so my my personal one was again er, like you, early in my consulting days, and I was hired by a, a media chain, uh, a media conglomerate, and this is the the days when the internet was was taking all their business, right? Um, all the newspapers and radio, it was all going online. Newspapers, radio, TV, local TV, they were just crumbling. So a um, uh, an executive from this media chain hired me, one of my first jobs, to come in and look for new opportunities for revenue streams. So I came in with three different ideas and the executive picked one and the idea was it, was it was basically Groupon, before Groupon. I had this idea that was kind of like Groupon because I looked at what their advantages were. They had all these salespeople, all these connections with customers on the ground. How could we leverage this in a new way? So that they loved it. They thought this is a great idea. So I wrote up this you know sort of a, a white paper, said, all right, for you to pull this off, five things have to happen. Now, this is a very slow-moving bureaucratic organization, but they're excited. They see this great opportunity. So I go into the first meeting, and they're all hepped up. And uh, midway through the meeting, they said, you know, Mark, those five things that you said had to happen. We don't really think we could do number three. We just uh, we just don't think we can get there on number three. But I was kind of like you, you know, all right, you know, I'm kind of new. And, you know, I'm feeling my way through here. These people are the experts in what they do. If they can't do number three, then they can't do number three. So then the next meeting, you know, we're into the meeting and they said, remember those five things? We just can't get editorial to agree on number two. Just ain't going to happen. So like week by week by week, the foundational ideas... The only things that would make this work were like shut down. And I should have stuck to my guns. I should have gone right back to the sponsor of the project. And I and, and I should have, you know, I should have been more uh, forthright. I should have been more confident and say, look, I know you need to do these five things. If you get rid of one of them, the whole thing's going to crumble and it's not going to work and it just it just it just fell apart the whole thing just fell apart and uh you know i'm not looking back the organization was so messed up i'm not sure it it really could have done it anyway they were just so entrenched in what they had done for 100 years yeah um, so kind of against change i i don't know if it would have worked anyway but the lesson for me there was i you know i should have been uh more bold. I, I should have stuck to my guns and, and and been confident in all this knowledge I've acquired over the years and say, look, no, we are going to do number two. If you don't do uh, that, didn't come out right. We're going to go do number two. You know what I mean? <laughs>
1: no, that's what ended up happening.
0: That was the end result. But that's
1: two. not, yeah, I get it. Our,
0: I don't know if our international listeners will understand that or not, but it was an <laughs> joke for Americans perhaps. Um, so, but I'll wrap it up today uh jay and and uh, so i did i did learn from that i really did sure uh uh, and i just you know i I just you know because i am confident i've had enough business experience to be pretty darn sure what has to happen in an organization to make things work so i'll wrap it up with this is the biggest mistake i've ever seen in business there's a it's it's this massive automotive content uh conference i think this is the biggest maybe the biggest group of people I've ever spoken to. I think there were close to 10,000 people in this audience. So there it was a two day event. I was the keynote speaker on day two, but I went early because the keynote speaker of day one was one of the most famous marketing gurus in the history of marketing gurus. And I had never seen this person speak before. So I really wanted to go. So there I was, I went early. And this guy is known for being very direct, maybe even a little harsh. So he was talking about digital marketing and he used this example. He called he, he put up this website and just, just went to town on this website saying that this website is one of the worst websites he's ever seen. He's, and literally he said this, the people who created this website must be a bunch of babies because this is so bad. I've never seen a horrific site like this in my life. Now, imagine if you will, as he's saying this, and of course, in front of 10,000 people, you've got the rock star screens, right? You've got the screens that are as big as buildings showing this website. Now, to complete the picture, on each side of the stage, there are huge LED screens posting the sponsor of the program, who is the website this guy is tearing apart. Oh, my gosh. He, did, he didn't think to, he didn't think, he didn't know who the sponsor was. He didn't, you know, he just probably showed up you know, got on stage, did a speech and, you know, and left. Ugh. And I mean, the audience, it was just unbelievable. It was the, it was just the worst cringe moment of my life. And um, so then, you know, I was speaker, I was the speaker the next day. And and this <laughs> is what happened. The organizer of the event came, uh, contacted me in my hotel that night and said, I want to see your slides. <laughs> they were so they were so terrified and so aghast at at, at what had happened but you know i mean this is you know I, i teach a class in in speaking uh and that's one of the things i talk about in the class is you know first of all go early read the room meet some people learn, like, who are some of the important customers in the room? Who are the sponsors? Can you even weave them a nice little hat tip to them in your speech or something, right? You got to be aware of the entire environment. You can't just go in and, you know, deliver some pre-rehearsed talk.
1: Amen. So, yeah. So,
0: so shame on him really for not being more aware. And uh, that was, that was really, really bad
1: everybody today i mean is a little mini megaphone up to a very large one and i feel like i've been at plenty of events too where Mm -hmm. the person on stage has been around the block and has lost sight of you know they've they've been subsumed by their own ego because it does something to you to have thousands or millions of people saying you're nice or great or genius or visionary all the time and getting applause on stages also compounds that and i could just tell like this person doesn't realize that by them mailing it in or by them saying something negative or overly sensational that, yeah, this is a room of 300 people only. But these 300 people now also have a direct connection to many more people. And I feel like a lot of people who used to be super famous or well-known yeah. at the top of an industry, they, they forget that. Like, there's no mailing it in anymore. You can't just be like, I'm here to collect a paycheck and bail. You got to deliver everywhere you show up, which is, oh, by the way, the highest integrity thing to do,
0: period. Hey. You, you reminded me of something. Can I, can I say one more? Yeah, sure. It's, it is, you know what? I, it, it's it's my, my show, but I'll let you go. Go it's ahead. It's my show. So <laughs> I'm going to give myself permission because you just, so maybe there was one other one that was all, this might, this is a tie. This is a tie for the worst. So th- I, I went to this event and I, and I, again, it was a very, very famous speaker. He was the opening keynote speaker. It was 10 in the morning and he was drunk drunk looked like he just rolled out of bed his hair was all disheveled and he's at this he's at this event and he's drunk and he says well here's how social media works here's how social media works he said let's say i'm at a bar and i i'm telling everybody I am a great person to have sex with. Now, they probably won't believe me, but if there's a table over here and there's these girls there and they say, look at that guy over there. Oh He's a God. great guy to have sex with. They they would believe them, but they probably wouldn't believe me. Now, at this point, half the people in the audience stand up and leave. Good. Because it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And uh the sponsor of the event um eventually had to cut him off and apologize wow that is yeah. true and he this guy at the you know at the, at that point he was kind of at the top of the food chain in terms of, of of marketing speakers but uh but that was that was that was that was close to yeah that was a close second to, uh, embarrassing the sponsor. Well, we could probably go on forever here, Jay. Yeah.
1: Now (laughs) listeners are like, and how are you going to bring this back, Mark?
0: (laughs) (laughs) And the lesson is don't be drunk when you get on stage. (laughs) Oh my God. Um, Right. That's why an edible exists.
1: Come on. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, look, that was, that was a lot of fun, Jay. Thanks so much for obliging me and going, going off road with me a little today sure appreciate you sure great hearing uh hearing uh from you and re- re- just you know you've been on the show for a while but remind where everybody remind everybody where they can where they can find you where's yeah your, where's your home on the web jaconzo.com
1: or uh i recently learned this there's a great study put out 100 of people who listen to this podcast listen to podcasts So if you'd like another one, mine is called Unthinkable. We tell stories of people who broke from best practices to trust their intuition instead.
0: Yeah, it's a great, great show. I've been a subscriber for a long time. All right, well, thanks everyone. Uh, We sure appreciate you and uh, thanks for being here. We'll see you next time on The Marketing Companion.